0: If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zek.
1: I am Leslie Moody Castro.
0: And today we might be a little late to the party because this news came out literally immediately after we had recorded Art Dirt two weeks ago, but we're going to talk about it anyway. We're going to be talking about the Supreme Court's decision against Andy Warhol, against the Andy Warhol Foundation, in favor of photographer Lynn Goldsmith. Um, If you haven't seen this news yet, it is, I mean, it's kind of been everywhere. Of course, the New York Times wrote about it, the Washington Post wrote about it, the New Yorker wrote about it, we wrote about it, um, along with all of the art publications wrote about it. So the background to this, and we actually did a podcast maybe about a year ago when we knew this was going to the supreme court um people artists curators everybody in the art world critics expected this decision to have a big overarching impact on the concept of appropriation art and the concept of free use Uh, particularly in artworks and in the art world. So I feel like it's best to get into what this case actually was, and then we can kind of talk about what actually happened in the decision that came down from the court. So in 1981, Lynn Goldsmith, who was a photographer, was commissioned by Newsweek to shoot images of Prince, the musician who at the time was very much up and coming. Some of those images weren't published. She photographed him both in concert and at her studio, just like as portraits of him. Uh, But I believe one of the pieces, I believe a concert photograph of, if I'm not mistaken, was published. Then, three years later, in 1984, Prince released Purple Rain, Prince blew up as a musician, and Vanity Fair wanted to do an article about Prince. They wanted to commission Andy Warhol to create an illustration for the magazine for the story. So they paid Lynn Goldsmith $400 to license her photograph as an artist reference. And they also, in the article, credited her with the source photograph. Then... Warhol did as Warhol does and he created not just one image but he created 14 prints and two drawings using the photo. One of those images was used to illustrate the Vanity Fair piece and everything was copacetic and fine.
1: And and the image that was used to illustrate the Vanity Fair piece was one of the prints, correct? Not a drawing?
0: Correct. One of the Prince of Prince. One of the Prince of Prince. It's going to get confusing with the Prince and the Prince and the Prince, but we'll do our best to uh, right. keep, keep this in line for you. So then, big time jump. Prince the musician dies in 2016, and Condé Nast, who is Vanity Fair's parent company, wanted to do a special issue about Prince's life and work. So they went back to the Warhol Foundation and were like, hey, we want to use the image of Prince. And the Warhol Foundation was like, so we have that one you used in the article, but we also have all of these other ones that Andy made at the time. And Conde Nast was like, oh, we will use this other image to be the front piece of our special edition magazine. So that happened. This is where it gets complicated. Lynn Goldsmith didn't know, apparently, that Andy Warhol had made a whole suite of artworks using her photograph.
1: Multiple photographs, correct? Like, he he used multiple photographs to create other works.
0: I think it was just one photograph. Okay, okay. So- but he created multiple works using that one photograph. So, th- yeah. So then, Lynn Goldsmith sees this magazine that comes out that ostensibly uses her photograph... And she's like, wait a second, I wasn't credited as a photographer for this. I also didn't receive any money for licensing for this photograph. On the other hand, the Warhol Foundation received $10,000 from Vanity Fair or from, I'm sorry, Condé Nast to license this photograph. So essentially what happened to us, Conde Nast was like, we want to use this photograph. Andy Warhol Foundation was like, yes, that's an Andy Warhol work. We will let you license the photograph from us or the image from us. Andy Warhol Foundation sues Lynn Goldsmith uh, saying basically we can do this. It's completely fine. It's part of fair use. Lynn Goldsmith countersues and is like, actually you used my photograph within this artwork and I'm entitled to compensation when a publication uses my image. This goes, bear with me, bear with me, listener. This goes uh, to the first court that it's in front of, and it's ruled in Andy Warhol foundation's favor. They're like, yes, the image is transformative of Lynn Goldsmith's photograph. This is all fine. Goldsmith appeals the decision. It goes to an appellate court, which then sides with Goldsmith. After that, it's appealed again By the Warhol Foundation, it goes to the Supreme Court. This brings us to this decision that we are talking about right now. So, the interesting thing about the decision is that it is very narrow in what it's saying. So, in the briefs, in the argument, Goldsmith didn't dispute the foundation's like reading of the photograph versus the images but and i'm going to quote from an article that was published here she takes issue with the idea that merely adding a new meaning or message renders a work transformative here's where it's here's what's important for copyright purposes so it's basically saying in this one instance the warhol foundation or condé nast should have licensed this image from goldsmith where this is distinct is that the course the court is taking an opinion of it's not saying that Warhol shouldn't have created this suite of prints and drawings. It's not saying that the Warhol Foundation owes Lynn Goldsmith back pay for selling those prints or drawings. It's not saying that those prints or drawings need to be destroyed or that Lynn Goldsmith retains copyright over those prints or drawings. It's saying in this particular instance where an image that used her image was licensed to be published in a magazine as an illustration for a story, Lynn Goldsmith is entitled to pay. Partially because Lynn Goldsmith also licenses her photographs to magazines, even goldsmith licensed her photographs to a special edition of a different magazine when prince died so it's saying these two images the warhol images that appropriate goldsmith's photo of prince and goldsmith's photo of prince are essentially playing ball in the same ballpark when only one ball player should be allowed to exist or when or they're competing with each other, But rather.
1: I guess in this instance, shouldn't it have been Condé Nast that should have paid the Warhol Foundation as well as Goldsmith? Like, do they have to play ball against each other, or can they both get compensation in some way?
0: I think if that had been the case, if Condé Nast was like, went to the Warhol Foundation and was like, we want to use this image, and the Warhol Foundation showed it to them, and Condé Nast had the history of, in that first magazine, it credited Goldsmith as the photographer of that photo, I think Conde Nast then could have gone to Goldsmith and said exactly what you're saying, Leslie. Yes, we want to use this Warhol image of Prince. Can we relicense it for this purpose? Because when they paid that initial $400 in 1984, it was for a one time use. So it was for that one time printing in the magazine. In that case, or that instance, the 1984 use of the image by Vanity Fair, by Warhol, isn't what this Supreme Court is dealing with. It's context for it, but that's not the problem. The problem, as the court sees it in its um, opinion, isn't that Warhol appropriated a photo. It isn't that Warhol used work that was derivative of someone else's. It was that Warhol's photo was competing with Goldsmith's photo for this purpose of illustrating the Condé Nast magazine.
1: And I guess my other question is um Goldsmith was aware that Warhol used that image for the one-time use in the 1984 version, correct?
0: Yes, because she was paid for it. She had to have been aware.
1: Okay, yeah, of course. Just to just to be really clear about that because in that instance, it's like it seems like everyone was compensated, and it was like, OK, great, the one-time use, and then the, the Warhol does what Warhol does, and then now we're fast forward. And, and it's like, wh- how, why wasn't that same process replicated in this way, and who would have been at fault? Is it the Warhol Foundation, or is it Condé Nast?
0: Yeah. Like, in in one sense, well, whose responsibility is it to keep track of Warhol's source material? Is it the Warhol Foundation, or is it the Warhol Foundation is keeping track of Warhol's images that Warhol created? Because this whole thing stemmed from the Warhol Foundation essentially licensing a Warhol artwork as an illustration for a publication. That's what happened, and even though the court case is Goldsmith versus the Foundation, essentially Condé Nast was the third player that could have stepped in and relicensed the image from Goldsmith and everything in theory would have been fine.
1: Correct. And then it could have been another one time use situation, obviously. And and so it seems like look, there I mean, it's a really it's the case is super interesting, too, because um, it's it's almost like, yes, on one hand, it is protecting the artist Goldsmith, I mean. Um, but at the other hand, I don't think that anyone really wins in it either. Um because now what happens, right? Like we do have this image by Andy Warhol and this suite of prints of prints. Um, and we also have an artist that created the original source material that did not receive compensation. Um and so it's just this sort of a lose-lose situation for everyone involved.
0: Well, in theory. The winner is Lynn Goldsmith, not only because the court cited in her favor in this instance, but because it's going to be kicked back down to the lower court to award licensing or damages or whatever we're going to officially um, call that. But at the same time, it it would be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what the damages or the licensing or whatever we comes out. Is it going to be more than what? Condé Nast paid the Warhol Foundation initially to even use the image,
1: and I mean, we're also talking about like lawyer fees and court fees and all this stuff in, involved as well. And so, like, does anyone really win anything in the end? Of course, Goldsmith obviously wins the rights, the copyrights, and whatnot of her original work. But how much was, how much was invested into this case? You know, and yeah, it's just it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky one it's a tricky one. <laughs>
0: I think it's really interesting that um, a lot of people were concerned about the Supreme court justices essentially playing art critic in this case. And it seems like uh, I, I got through a, a majority of the uh, a decision. So I read all of the uh, majority opinion, the consenting opinion, and then some of the dissenting opinion. Um, and it seems yeah, it was it's you know, it's actually a really interesting read if you care about this kind of stuff. And then I'm also nerdy. So it's just, you know, it's really great. Um, but the interesting thing was, to me, it seemed like the dissenting opinion, the opinion that we most artists wished would have been the majority opinion, right? The opinion that says, essentially, uh, Goldsmith shouldn't have a case is the opinion that ended up playing Art Critic. Because in the dissenting opinion, it talks about Warhol being this transformative artist. It talks about intent behind art. Like, the majority opinion is saying the intent doesn't necessarily matter. What matters is that Goldsmith and Warhol are playing in the same space and competing for the same thing in this one instance. The dissenting opinion is saying they may be competing for the same thing but those editors at Condé Nast very specifically wanted to use a Warhol artwork to illustrate this magazine they even they even ask in the opinion they say do you think it would have mattered to this editor what image they chose like if the editor had the Goldsmith photo or the Warhol print in front of them would they be like oh well we can just use either one it's like it I mean, I run a publication. The answer to that is no. You choose illustrations for your articles very purposefully to communicate what you're trying to get across. So the dissenting opinion, yeah.
1: It's very curated. Like, we, it's very curated. It's, it's, there's a lot of decisions that go behind everything. Absolutely. So, of course, there was a reason for the Warhol. Um, and what were you going to say? Go ahead, Brandon.
0: Well, because the dissenting opinion, because it's playing art critic a little bit, it gets into the idea that, you know, the goldsmith photo was like Prince um, and he looks a little shy in it. And he's a little diminutive. And it's like before he got famous. And then the Warhol is like the wall of celebrity being put up and the elevating of someone and being part of mass culture and consumerism. And it's like. It kind of does make sense that Condé Nast in their special edition magazine would want the glorified version of Prince, right? They wouldn't want the little shy photograph of it.
1: Of course. And it also plays into the Warhol aesthetic in the sense of like, you know, his his critique of this sort of mass produced culture and capitalism and all of those things. Um, It's. It's on and it, and it, like it's him playing into what he does with his practice as well, which is like producing thousands upon thousands of one thing and commenting on this culture of capitalism in a lot of ways. And then the irony of it, right? Like here we are in this court case, basically trying to make a decision about Warhol's practice in a lot of ways as well, because this is what he was doing. Warhol does what he does, um, and. And one of the notes that you kind of sent over that we're reading over, there's a question here. Warhol was a photographer. Why couldn't he have taken his own image? And I think that's a really good question too. Um, Why did he use someone else's image as source material? We know Warhol was a prolific photographer. He always carried a camera. So what was it about the image? I'm wondering that like, was the source material for him and...
0: The devil's advocate of that is Warhol did pay to license images for his art also. So he did do both. But yeah, if Warhol was a photographer and was an artist, why didn't he go photograph this musician who was super famous in order to create this artwork?
1: Right, right, right. And so now, where do we go from here? Like, what? So, of course, as we know, it, like it goes into the lower courts and whatnot, and a decision will be made, and a settlement will happen. Um, but what does it mean for like the bigger picture, image, art world, c- copyright, things like that? Like, it gets. Re- I mean, we were just talking about this, and I was like, I'm like literally scratching my head because there's no winning in it, right? There's no like. It just seems like there's such a lack of. There's like not. I mean, I'm even stumbling trying to define what I'm trying to say.
0: It's, I think it's hard because what everyone in the art world was seemingly scared about was the fact that, like, things go to the Supreme Court because the court feels like they haven't been ruled on yet, and because the Supreme Court sets a legal precedent, which is where all other legal decisions cite and generally come from, right? So... Everyone was scared of the Supreme Court setting a precedent that artists aren't allowed to copy or use or employ or whatever word you want to use for it to whatever extent it means. They're not allowed to do that to another either artist's work or to another brand's work. Properties or basically, artists wouldn't be allowed to draw other things from other places and then use them or replicate them in their work. That, that was the major concern.
1: We're also seeing this in music. I think um, there has been a lot of like, there's been a lot of contention on what is uh, like, what an artist has limits, well, what the artist limits are in terms of like references and. Um, and yeah, what, what can be reproduced and how? Um, and I guess, I mean, again, it's just like, it seems like Goldsmiths just should have been compensated from the beginning, and why didn't that happen? Because it's like this just, was a big clusterfuck that could have been very avoided, I think. Whereas, it, you know, I think it's, it's it, like Warhol's image of Prince really does sort of capture this other side of his personality, of Prince's personality as like a as a creative, and the photograph that Goldsmith originally shot of Prince is very different in sentiment and very different in its sort of the way that Prince um, is actually being portrayed in the image. And so it does make sense that, you know, the magazine would want to use this image, but like why, why wasn't the source material referenced again? I don't understand that part of it either. Um, and artists do use references of other artists all the time. Like it's, this is, you know, we, we, we are participating in a history of art history. Right. And so there's generations of works that are constantly, constantly being referenced, whether it's directly, literally, or even conceptually. And so it's just, I mean, it is kind of a scary thing that the Supreme Court would get involved because it makes things much more cut and dry and it makes more, makes very little gray area. In these decisions, um, and so then, what does it mean for like the future history of art history? Then, like, how do we now start to talk about work and credit work and even
0: label work, right? Well, that's really interesting. So, Leslie, basically, you're making the argument that the dissent makes because one of it's so great to like read this brief and see illustrations and like basically you you can kind of just tell that the the author of the descent may have taken um art history in college uh, justice Kagan um but there are illustrations in the descent of Giorgione's sleeping Venus and then one page later Titian's v- Venus of Urbino and then one page later Mene's Olympia like it's a real argument to show that I believe they even uh justice Kagan even says somewhere in the brief um, or in the decision that nothing comes out of nothing. Like the whole argument that the dissent is making is that, is the argument that you just made. I'm not going to repeat it. Like that's that's what it is. Art comes from art. Art comes from the world. And if art can't come from art or the world, there's going to be a problem and it's going to stifle people's abilities to make it.
1: Well, and then not only that, but art is constantly evolving, right? Like medium is evolving. And now we are also getting into the 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 argument and situation of like AI and what does that mean for art and like and so it's just this argument that comes up all the time, I think, um, with new new technology, new media. I mean, even acrylic paint was a new media at one point in time. Um, there was a photography arg- argument that pops up all the time. And so, yeah, it is. I mean, it is like it does complicate that. Like, it does, like no art doesn't come from any like nothing. Right. It's just is. And so what does it mean then? To credit to use references, um, when is it plagiarism? And I think like those are the things that get really muddy for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I found really interesting that almost kind of goes against the argument. I mean, I, I can't remember the top of my head if it was in the uh, the the main opinion or the concurring opinion. Forgive me, um, but one of the justices made a point that okay, well. Warhol also did like Campbell's soup cans, right? Okay, so the Warhol prints use the Campbell's logo, which was a copyright trademark property of Campbell's, right? Or its parent company. However, that logo's purpose is to advertise soup. Warhol's artworks, that he made using the Campbell's soup cans don't do that. Even when they're reproduced, they don't do that. They're not advertising Campbell's. They're not, they don't, they will, unless Campbell's relicenses them to (laughs) advertise its product, they will essentially never share the same quote unquote purpose, right? Okay, versus a portrait of a musician right? versus a photograph of a musician. Do those two things ever share the same purpose?
1: I'm scratching my head again, Brandon.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, it's like they – because they kind of have different meanings, right? Which was what you're saying about the Lynn Goldsmith's photo shows prints in one way and Warhol's thing shows prints in another way, et cetera, et cetera. But what the court is saying is that these purposes of acting as an illustration of prints are the same. So therefore, you kind of can't separate the source material from the product.
1: Well, and I guess, is, is there also a conversation about the image of a person? I mean, it's one thing if it's a Campbell, Campbell Soup logo, which is not someone that lived a life and existed and had a very tragic death, but... This is the image of a living person, right? And like, if you see the Goldsmith image, there is a certain amount of vulnerability that is really communicated in that photograph, and there is obviously a relationship there between the photographer and the the sitter, between Prince as a person, and clearly they had a relationship. Clearly they had some sort of relationship. If Goldsmith could take multiple images of Prince and see him in a very vulnerable sort of frame of being. Um, and does, so does that, con- like, was the, was the conversation of it being a portrait of a person and an individual that was then not manipulated, but used, like taken from its source material, used to make another image and then used for a magazine. And then many years later, decades later, a different one was taken and then republished as well without giving credit to the original person who was the source for that one intimate moment between an artist and an artist.
0: Well, Leslie, do you want your uh, do you want your little minute of mind f? So, okay, here's here's two sentences from the concurring opinion that I believe Justice Gorsuch wrote. "Quote: The court today does not even decide whether the foundation's image of Prince infringes on Mrs. Goldsmith's copyright." And then later. Before us, Miss Goldsmith challenges only the foundation's effort to use its portrait as a commercial substitute for her own protected photograph in sales to magazines looking for images of prints to accompany articles about the musician. So you have that, that it's about purpose. The dissenting opinion cites a 2021 case where it says, quote, In a recent decision, this court used Warhol paintings as the perfect exemplar of a, quote, Copying use that adds something new and important of a use that is transformative and thus points to, to toward a finding of fair use. So, of course, the court literally just used Warhol as an exemplar of being able to transform the purpose or the, the essence of something. But I guess, you know, the majority would argue that that didn't that that's not. That's still not what's not what's being decided here. So my question, Leslie, is forget about separating the art from the artist. Can you separate the art from its intent? Because the majority says yes, right? Both the photograph and the silkscreen print represent prints. The dissent says no because you can't separate art from intent because if the intents are inherently different, people make a specific decision to choose the intent of what they're looking to communicate right right uh, Conde Nast chose that warhol image over goldsmith's image because XYZ reason so can you separate the art from the art's intent
1: um I guess get I mean I'm going to use it like an example of an exhibition if a viewer visitor walks into an exhibition and reads something totally different from a work of art than what the artist intended, we can't control that, right? But we can control that as much as possible in terms of like our curatorial process. Um, and it is—it yeah, is a really hard question. Um, it is, <laughs> I guess, I guess yes. It's a yes and no um, because it really depends on. It depends on who the audience is, I guess. And in this case, the there was a very clear intent for the image, especially like in a magazine. I think that you can con- like. The magazine is actually sort of defining with both images and words, you know, this person's image. And I think in this case, it might be difficult to separate the intent. (laughs) Does that make any sense?
0: (laughs) Kind of, say more.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's just, it, it seems, it just seems like I'm really scratching my head here. It seems like, it seems like it was... I mean, I first of all, this thing of it being a sort of transformative experience—I don't buy that at all. Um, I, I don't agree <laughs> with that at all, and I—I I think that the the source material I think is so important, especially for and like Goldsmith was the person that sat with Warhol, right? And um, and I think that there was definitely an intention to sort of use this one image and then portray prince as this sort of very flamboyant personality and not like the vulnerable person that he actually was that goldsmith did did capture um the photograph is beautiful andy warhol's image is also or the the drawing is or sorry not the drawing the print of prince is actually also beautiful but like it is very clearly intended that they're building this sort of narrative about this figure um i don't know that it would be And in the context of a magazine where you're clearly building, you're also kind of building a narrative around the celebrity, using a celebrity from an image by an artist, it seems very clear to me that there were many decisions and steps made that like, you can't separate the intent there. Does that make sense? Am I talking in circles? (laughs) This whole thing seems like a circle to me.
0: I think I think it's kind of inevitable to talk in circles, so I'm not going to say yes in a bad way, but a little bit. Well, but then also you think of like, okay, Lynn Goldsmith is a fairly well-known photographer of musicians and famous people. But Warhol is the best known artist who did portraits and paintings and photographs of famous people. So they kind of have the same background also, but at the same time being photographed or having your image reproduced by warhol kind of means no matter what the transformative aspect is kind of means something distinct at least in my opinion from just being photographed on stage or in the studio by goldsmith um the problem with that way of thinking is something else that the um that the majority opinion noted which is that Uh, I believe their quote is fame is not a ticket to trample other artists' copyrights, which that means that, you know, if it's like, well, Warhol's a big deal, so Warhol does doing it means it has a particular meaning inherently and et cetera, et cetera. If that's justification, then whenever. you know, if uh, Jeff Koons wanted to just reproduce some lesser-known artists' photographs, he could, and there would be no repercussion at all, which, granted, a lot of times it's the other way around. It's lesser-known artists reproducing better-known artists to comment on the art market or commercialism or to satirize those artists, but it, it, essentially it's the kind of— it's. A different situation but the same argument of like um urban outfitters ripping off an independent designer on etsy and all of a sudden this independent designer on etsy is like wait they're selling my t-shirt same sentiment different idea different argument but
1: but one that i don't disagree with necessarily like i don't i i mean i the celebrity plagiarist privilege is what you have written in these notes here that like I mean, we said at the beginning of this conversation that Warhol chose this image, but did as Warhol does, and then used a bunch of other images and um, made other works that this artist, this goldsmith, the photographer, did not know about and was kind of surprised by. Um, and why, why wouldn't I mean, why wouldn't that photographer, why wouldn't Goldsmith be compensated or receive credit for those? works that Warhol even if they are Warhols and are very different from the originals like this was the situation from the beginning is that Goldsmith lent the image as reference material Warhol then did what Warhol does and then it was published with everyone credited and everyone paid and so why wasn't that replicated again Um, and at what point in time and I think that that for me I mean I know the decision is different but like for my argument it seems like it seems like Goldsmith is not getting credit for the image that they they published or not published but produced, um, right? In all of this very complex, very old situation, and it, it it yeah. So it does to me seem like infringement was infringement did happen against Goldsmith, and <sighs> and why why wouldn't the Warhol Foundation? credit goldsmith why why just because andy warhol is andy warhol why is it why is there a privilege exercised um i don't yeah scratching my head here
0: because the licensing fee was paid the work was created and then it was an andy warhol artwork
1: but the one-time licensing fee the one time (laughs) there was one time it was approved and i think that that's very clear and especially like in the world of photography especially in the world of portrait photography right like the one-time fee is really important because if the photographer can't control their image or make money off of the image, um, then it's like, how does that, how does an artist get paid? Right? Like how, so if it was going to be used again, then why wouldn't another deal be struck? Especially if the foundation was getting paid. Okay. The foundation gets paid, but like, why wouldn't the same deal happen with Goldsmith in the end either? And I think that that's where, that's where I, my conundrum is. It's in like, why wouldn't, yeah, that's where my conundrum is.
0: Yeah. Just everything is relicensed. This time around the Warhol stuff gets licensed because it, it's been created. The Goldsmith thing gets licensed and everyone's happy.
1: Well, and now we are aware of the suite of images that exists and like, okay, let's go back into the archive and now let's credit Goldsmith and let's all move forward. And if they get used again, then again, same thing, one time licensing fee and permissions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I, so I think that like, this decision by this or even the fact that it went as far as the Supreme Court case, um, in some ways, like, yes, it is a little bit scary that the Supreme Court is deciding on copyright and deciding in, in very sort of blurred lines of what how references can exist in conversation between artists, um, historically and current, however that works out. But on the other hand, it's also making it really obvious that, this artist who did do this work that was then used by Warhol um, was also not credited for the work that she did that was used by Warhol. Um, and she is still alive, right? Like these are not like, these are. this is not an artist that has passed on and now we're looking at their work in terms of like art historical context. Like she is still alive. It was published by Conde Nast. Conde Nast has the resources to pay for it, even as source material for one-time use. And like, just do it. Um, I'm always on the side of artists getting paid and artists being credited and supported, right? And so I think that that's my biggest hang-up with it is that, um, yes, it's a Warhol image, but it comes from really specific source material. And at the like, and can you imagine being blindsided by that? Like, Goldsmith didn't even know that they existed. Um, and to see it on the cover of, like, a major international glossy, like, come on. That's, that's pretty fucked up.
0: <laughs> well, the... I, a really damning detail for me that I didn't see published elsewhere that I saw in when I was reading the decision itself was that when Prince died, another magazine conglomerate asked her to use one of her images to grace the cover of their Prince special issue. I mean, it's like you kind of can't get more... <laughs> blatant about the one-to-one relationship between the two the purposes of the two image if that's going to be what you base your decision on right it's that the fact that they were both used but they both originated with goldsmith um Leslie, I'm going to use the last couple minutes to actually talk about the larger impacts because I love the nitty-gritty. But the whole reason that this has gotten so much press, at least in the art community, is because people were scared about the precedent, right? What it would actually say, what it would actually set. Um, And the majority opinion is very clear that it's not – It's not ruling against artists being able to use other artists' work. It's not going to stifle creativity. Um, The dissent is vehemently opposed to that way of thinking, basically saying that this is going to do all of those things. Um, I feel like artists... I mean, I I, I feel like this, of course, isn't a black and white situation, but at the same time, people are going to see it in a very black and white way, no matter how it's covered. And what people are going to get out of this, what artists are going to get out of this is, I can't do that, or it could be problematic if I do that. So I'm wondering if this will cause any sort of just like hangups or self-censorship or anything like that moving forwards. Because, of course, good artists are going to try to break rules and are going to try to push boundaries and are going to do that until they have a very avid reason not to do it. But for some artists, this could be that avid reason. Like, artists don't have resources, generally speaking, to pay licensing fees if they're – making work like that or they don't have license or they don't have uh resources definitely to pay lawyers to argue something in court and part of this also the thing that really hit me is which i think you also kind of alluded to when you were talking about artists putting on a show and people possibly interpreting their work differently than it was meant to be is artists don't always know where their work is going like this warhol prince these warhol prince images like he made them because one of them was going to be used to illustrate a magazine. So maybe that's a little clearer, but there are plenty artists who make work that may at some point become licensable for some illustrative purpose that that necessarily wasn't the intent when they were making it. Um, You know, artists make work because oftentimes they feel like they need to be making work, whether it's, Pulling on other things that are already in the world, or other artists' work, or not. So,
1: right. That's why we call it a practice, right? It's it's constantly evolving. Um, which I think that I mean if that's the, like I, I still see it in in favor of Goldsmith then because this was a work in process that was then used in another another like as reference material for something else. Then why wouldn't Goldsmith defend? that work in process as well. Um, and I think that like, yeah, it does get really muddy there too, because I mean, I've even sat in a room when curators completely misread work and actually talked about it in public. And I'm, I've been in the room when artists have been like, actually, it's not about Mexican muralism. It's about something totally different. But then the projection of Mexican muralism still becomes the thing that people talk about. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I guess it is, like, it's just such a muddy situation. And it's true that when an artist is producing work, if there maybe not be, there maybe isn't a, a clear path to, like, an end point. But that's why it's a practice. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. It's all so confusing.
0: Well, I mean, also, because you know, the, the idea that this opinion actually won't affect artists because it was about a very specific licensing case, like the, the fact that the majority opinion doesn't talk about the, um, the transformative power or that that's not considered. It's like, I think what everyone was scared of was that this opinion would decide what is or isn't transformative enough in order to be considered fair use. And that's not what this opinion did. However, also by not doing it, but citing in this aspect in Goldsmith's favor, it, I feel like a lot of people would argue, kind of opens the door to the court breaking down the idea of the transformative power in the future because this issue doesn't address it however you could argue that warhol transformed the photograph and yet it was still decided against him so even though the court blatantly doesn't address that which essentially means that it probably shouldn't serve as precedent for transformative use in the future you have to know that if some transformative if something hinging on the transformative ability of an artist creating work you have to know that this case will be cited in some way shape or form
1: totally totally and i guess my other my other i mean yes there's a case but like my other thing my other hang-up that i keep kind of tripping over is the foundation like isn't isn't it also the responsibility of the foundation um and isn't it also yeah isn't it the responsibility of the foundation to like property properly keep that archive and those materials and like and goldsmith be you know credited in these images as they are because it's the foundation and that's what they're supposed to do and so it wasn't even that that the court ruled against warhol it was against the foundation because there is some negligence there i mean we have to admit it
0: yes however i i I don't know the extent to which i believe it but i'll continue to devil's advocate that the foundation was licensing an andy warhol artwork so the foundation had no reason to deal with lynn goldsmith Yeah, that was that was the foundation's whole argument when they initially sued Goldsmith and filed in court. Right. They were like, actually, Goldsmith isn't a part of this because the magazine is licensing one of Andy Warhol's artworks, which he created, which is its own thing. So in essence, in essence, Leslie, I think one of the reasons why this might be a circular talk and also why it's hard to talk about is because that is issue kind of was kind of solved but it also really wasn't it
1: wasn't i mean i'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around it and like articulating it um and i think that part of the reason i'm having a hard time is because it's a foundation like there's a foundation involved it's not like a person right it's not like andy warhol is like oops sorry goldsmith i fucked it up you know it's a foundation making a decision about what is an image for something or what's important in the image right um and what's important i (laughs) And what's important in the archive and what information is important in, to tell in the story. So yeah, of co- okay, it is an Andy Warhol print, it is an Andy Warhol image, but it still has important source material that historically was credited in a way that now is not. And so why wouldn't the foundation continue to protect the archive and the reference material when it is so clear that that is the reference material? That's And, and, and yes, I understand the argument that it is an Andy Warhol work, but... There's also all this history behind it that's very clear, that is like well, it seems like there is a a lack of like responsible decision making here, you know, and it's a foundation. Um, It's it's something that's supposed to protect all of like this archive and this this history that like clearly didn't. And at the end of the day, there was another artist involved that um, was. Not consulted about their image and it was published in a major magazine, you know, and I think that that's, yeah, I, can't, I just come back to the foundation um, and like wondering what was going on in the decision-making process there as well.
0: Well, I think uh, we should put a bow on it there. Um, we could continue to circle around saying the same things in slightly different ways and making slightly different nuanced versions of the same point for a very long time with this because that's the decision that came out of it.
1: I just can't keep scratching my head. I just can't keep scratching my head.
0: (laughs) Um, We'll we'll let you stop. So if you are listening to this and this really excites you, um, or even if you're just kind of curious about it, let's say, I I think you should maybe take a look at the brief. There are elements that you can, or the decision rather, there are elements that you can skip over. Um, But some of it's really interesting. I mean, you know, listening or reading to cogent well put together arguments it's the kind of thing where you're reading one and you're like oh yeah I agree with that And then you get to the next one and you're like oh well yeah that's a really good argument too and how are you it's it's actually a really interesting read so uh, we'll link that in the show notes on Glass Tire Um, we'll also be back in two weeks with another podcast Uh, until then don't get sued for copyright infringement
1: Don't do that. It's very confusing. Don't do it.
0: (laughs) And uh, go see some art.
1: Go see some art.
0: This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2023.